With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to Crayon Conversations. I am your host, Robin, and joining me today is the ever-affable Sarah A. Sarah, welcome. Yay, howdy. How's it going? Oh, you know, it goes. We're on <laughs> month like 80 billion with no Kings hockey and <laughs> the world is potentially still on fire and all that stuff. So, but we're here doing a podcast. There you go. I guess things could always be worse. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Worse-ish. Yeah. Well, okay. We do have some bad news. Well, I don't know if it's bad news, but we do have some news about the Kings. Tim Smith was the guy who played Bailey. Uh, he was also the King's director of in-game entertainment or something like that. Uh, he was fired on Friday from his job because of a civil lawsuit brought by one of the ice crew members alleging sexual harassment. I mean, it's about time, quite honestly. As someone who has followed both this matter and who in my day job works in human resources and has watched them bungling this from afar. Uh, they have known for a very long time that this guy is no good and has had repeated allegations of being a sexual harasser at the workplace. And they continued to protect him and allow him to work there. And now, you know, th there was too much spotlight on the issue. So their hand was a little bit forced. But the fact to to me, and I've talked about this on, on my own podcast as well, uh, to, not to turn it into like employment law slash hockey podcast, <laughs> but the fact that it was very clear that they only did an investigation after there was a lawsuit filed when companies are almost never surprised with these sorts of lawsuits. You always know it's coming pretty much 99% of the time um, tells me that they didn't take it seriously until they started getting bad press about it. So I'm glad that they did the right thing, even if it is several years too late to have really been meaningful, but I, I hope that they have learned from this experience <laughs> uh, and that <laughs> they will do a yeah. better job of protecting their employees from people like that. This is actually at least the second lawsuit that's been brought against mm -hmm. him. As far mm -hmm. as I can tell, it's the first one from an ice crew member. Yes. Um, but he was sued a while back and I believe he settled out of court mm -hmm. um, with somebody alleging sexual harassment or sec sex sexual assault or something. No, I mean, the story that I heard is that he smacked somebody on the ass in an elevator. And yeah. then so somebody decided to sue him for it. And it was supposed yeah. to be like a joke. Yeah. But it seems his jokes have mm -hmm. kind of gotten out of hand. Mm -hmm. 
So. so it's it's really sad that it takes until somebody sues and it's not cheap to sue somebody mm-hmm. like and it's no by, by no means a small amount of effort to retain legal counsel and then file paperwork and like that is so expensive and it's it's always sad to me that it takes a freaking lawsuit and people are like oh guess we should um fire this person because now we're getting bad press yeah it's really frustrating to watch as like an onlooker of of someone who deals with this kind of stuff in my day-to-day job of being like oh buddy like there there are many other ways you could have rectified this situation and, and the fact that at least according to the lawsuit that the, the the woman involved had raised her concerns several times. And like they, everyone knew that he was like this and they just were like, Oh, we'll make sure it doesn't happen again. And then they actually really did nothing to protect her from, from this happening. And they did nothing to discipline him or to remove him from being in a, a situation where he, he could be someone who has access to people to sexually harass. And I, I think the thing that a lot of people, like outside of the king's world don't realize is that like like you said he isn't just the guy in the mascot he also does well did now a whole bunch of other things for the king so you know not not that it makes it any better or any worse but it's one thing if your mascot is very easily replaceable because that's their only job of it's the kid in the costume and they go out to events and wave and do funny tricks on the ice but this guy also had so much other power within the organization. Like he was actually overseeing the ice crew and he oversaw, you know, the game day operation kind of entertainment stuff. So it it was much harder for them, their their organizational perspective, probably to, to, they probably had many reasons that they could justify to themselves that they couldn't take action on him before because he was just so important to the organization. But I think a lot of people, think that like oh it's just a guy in a mascot like in mascot costume but this guy for whatever reason was the mascot but also did a whole bunch of other stuff which i find kind of truly bizarre like i'd I'd be curious i know that all teams kind of shroud their mascots in secrecy but you know unrelated to to any sort of allegations i'd be really curious to see you know what other other teams do their mascots also wield like an un- unimaginable amount of power within the organization? Or is it just a dude in a costume who dances around? I, like, I, I just found that very bizarre that he was both Bailey and a guy who did a bunch of other stuff. Like that was really weird to me. <laughs> yeah. You'd normally think that the, the, because, well, from what I heard, um, the mascot is usually two people because Mm -hmm. it can be a really grueling job because those costumes are not breathable at Mm -hmm. all. So I, from what I've heard a lot, a lot of teams employ two people for their mascot because it is a fairly grueling job. And that way you can turn it around really quickly and still pay them very little money. Right. And and, I, 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 just I, I would be very curious to know the backstory of how that decision was made of because as far as I think you and I both are aware, he was the only Bailey. Like there wasn't 
another person who shared Bailey duties. Like it was just him. And like you said, that's not very common. Um, I, I think, I think like Philadelphia might be the only one, one on top of my head that I can think of that. I think they've confirmed like there is only one gritty, like there aren't multiple people who wear the gritty suit, but I think that most other teams, their mascots, you know, and, and Gritty has a very distinct style of, you know, the, the physical comedy and the dancing that I think would be hard to replicate among several different people. But most mascots, it's just like pie in the face and spin around on the ice and, you know, did a dance in the aisle. Like it's not something super, not, not to, not to discount. I don't want any people who happen to have past lives as mascots coming for me for seeing like their jobs are very hard, but many of them are just not very distinct. So it's it just, I would just love to know how they were like, ah, yes, guy who runs the game operations. You can also be the lion mascot. And then what does <laughs> this, like, I wonder what this means for Bailey as a mascot. And I like, I feel like it's actually kind of good that the Kings have, you know, at least until December until hockey comes back, if not longer, um, you know, e- even though like Bailey, the mascot is just an entity. It is not this person like Bailey's name, unfortunately, has been a little bit besmirched by the man playing him. And so, you know, would the Kings retire Bailey for a little bit or, you know, give him a break for a season until people kind of forget about it and then bring him back? You know, because I think that I think I think as you and I were saying, like the the news this guy got fired kind of went under the radar a little bit it was it was very much a friday news dump um it didn't get nearly as much press as the initial allegations which all ran on sports sites and entertainment sites with the headline of bailey accused of sexual harassment um when you know it's really the guy it's not the the mascot uh so i'll be curious to see what they do in the future if they just sort of hire a new person to wear the costume and pretend none of this ever happened or if we spend a season mascot list, especially if they don't have fans at the games, you know, they don't maybe need one for a little while. I don't know. It's a very weird situation. I kind of wonder if Tim himself was like, I want to be Bailey. Oh, probably. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's the guy with all the power and everything. So I mean, especially if you're a guy who enjoys doing things like, smacking people's butts and thrusting your crotch in their face as quote unquote jokes. You have a lot more power and freedom to do that in a costume where no one can see your face, you know, like they're, they're not to like get too like psychology on it. But if you're someone who enjoys being like that to people, the anonymity a little bit, even though like, you know, employees obviously know who he is, but you know, I don't know. That's a little too deep for a podcast. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, I kind of hate to say this, but it's such a it's such a male mentality to mm-hmm. really push the line. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of what um, mascots do. They, they're always kind of towing the line, kind of pushing the envelope or whatever cliche phrase you want to insert here. But um, I mean, in some respects, like it's the being sort of not controversial, but, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of being a little bit wacky, a little out there, a little bit, anything you wouldn't accept from a, a regular person, Mm -hmm. just like if it was a random ice crew member, like somebody just went up and pied another quote unquote opposing fan in the face, they'd be like, 
that's not that funny, weird, but yeah. you know, yeah, shaving cream pie in the face. A lion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's that famous video from, Oh God, what was it? I think it was the Calgary flames. Um, was it the Harvey, the hound. Oh yeah. Yeah. He got his tongue mm-hmm. cut off yep. because he was irritating the coach. Yeah. Yeah, you can but, get I mean, away see, with that's... a lot more when you're playing basically a cartoon character. And, yeah. you know, the, the, it's one thing to get away with more when that means pie in the face, popcorn dumped all over your head or whatever, like kind of harmless prank. I assume that the people getting popcorn dumped on them are kind of in on it. Like, I don't think that they're just running up to people, pieing random people who aren't aware of it. Um, but, yeah, it's it it it's a little easy maybe for people like that to step over a line, but that, that is suddenly not funny. And, you know, like just, just, just be a goofy mascot spraying, spraying silly string into a crowd. Like what, you know, why does it have to be mean spirited? Just be goofy. Well, not to kind of pull the curtain back here, but I mean, they're not really true they might be true opposing fans, yeah. but it's usually ice crew members who are dressed up as opposing fans, and they're the ones who get pied or caked or whatever. Yeah, which makes sense because you wouldn't want to, you know, especially if they're usually in a jersey. You know, you you want wouldn't want to be like, ah, yes, random fan from Calgary. We're gonna throw a pie in your face and possibly ruin that jersey that you just paid three hundred dollars for or whatever. Like, <laughs> you know, it it makes very much more sense to have plants in, in the audience for that kind of stuff. And yeah, then it is like all in good fun and everyone's in on the joke and whatever. And you know, but it, yeah, it's it's just. I, like I, I desperately need someone to do like a mascot expose. <laughs> I think is what it comes down to. One more thing on this, and then we'll move on. Um, this isn't the first time, you know, allegations about you know the King's Ice Crew and negative things have come out. Because I don't know if you remember, but um, in 2014, Mother Jones did um, mm-hmm. uh, an ar- article about the NHL Ice Crew for different teams and um it specifically focused on the flyers and the los angeles kings um in the article but i mean it's it's a it's known as a major issue league-wide so i mean it's kind of and from what i've heard i'm not going to name names but I've, i've heard that there are people who are higher ups on the ice crew, not the actual ice crew members themselves. Um, but, you know, people in charge of running the ice crew are heard it's a very toxic environment mm-hmm. and the Kings don't care. Yeah. That sounds about what I expected, honestly, which is very disappointing. <laughs> it is. And it's, I mean, I like, I really appreciate what philadelphia has done they no longer call them ice girls they're all ice crew and one thing i noticed in san jose is that everyone's given and i think it's the same thing in detroit um Mm -hmm. everyone's given the same uniform if the girls want to um tie up their shirts to expose their bellies that's totally fine like nobody cares about that i don't think it's a requirement because i haven't seen it from Mm -hmm. all of them but i mean it's um, I think in Detroit, they all wear tracksuits. Yeah, which honestly, like, it's freaking cold out there. 
<laughs> you know, you're on the ice and, and it, it's, you know, at, at the minor league level where I, I covered the Chicago wolves, like they all just, yeah, they wear track suits or they have like a long sleeve shirt and pants. Like there's no, there's no like revealing costumes. Like they're out there to do a job and that job is to shovel the ice and like occasionally throw t-shirts at people. It's, it's not a, it's, it's just so, it just blows my mind that any, that, you know, there was the one year that Philadelphia tried to to get rid of the costumes, the the revealing costumes for the ice girls or whatever. And people actually like men got upset about it and were like booing the crowd, the, the normally clothed ice crew and stuff like that. And they 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 had to go. They went back to way, the way it used to be or whatever, because people got so upset that like suddenly for one minute in the middle of a hockey game, you didn't get to see a bunch of midriffs of women. It was just so weird to me. Like, why is that? Who cares? Like, I don't, I don't understand that at all. Didn't they also try to get rid of all the outwardly female identifying members of their ice crew? Oh, probably to solve the problem entirely of. Yeah. And then I think they brought them back. Yeah. Yeah. It was I don't know. Or like so, Chicago gave their ice crew pants, like the the women wore pants for like half of a season because there was kind of a fan generated uh, awareness campaign, essentially of hey, we think we're we're not we don't like this. This is not good. This is this is bad, and whatever. And so they wore pants and shirts for like half a season, and then slowly they went back to the like tank tops and booty shorts or whatever that they wear. Um, and occasionally they'll get to wear like long pants or something. But I, I'm just like, okay, you you gave people like half a season of being like, yes, we're listening to you. And then they slowly went back to the way it used to be whenever there wasn't such a spotlight and on, spotlight, spotlight on it anymore. It's like the most NHL thing possible. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Honestly, I won't be surprised if when fans are allowed to come back to the games, they like... Oh, somebody brought a headdress or a tomahawk or whatever. Oh, no. Bad mm-hmm. on you. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be, I'd, I'd be curious to see how that gets enforced since they did say that they're not going to allow it anymore. But, I mean, not, not to turn it to political slash current events, but how many stores do we say that, or the, do we see that say, you know, mask required for entry, but the security people or the people at the doors or whatever are not like actually empowered to be able to say, excuse me, sir, you cannot come into this store because you're not wearing a mask. And so it it basically becomes meaningless or they don't enforce it because customers become like unhinged whenever you say you must wear a mask. Like, so is it going to be like that where at the United center, you know, the security and the, 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 like the people who run the metal detectors and all that stuff that you have to go through, you know, do they, are, are they told, Hey, people aren't supposed to have these things, but you know, if it looks like they're going to punch you in the face, just let them go. You know, I'll be really <laughs> curious about that. People become unhinged at the most random yeah. things. Like yeah. it's 10 minutes. Just yeah. Wear a mask. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> uh, the draft is coming up. It sure is. I don't know what day. Mm, Tuesday and Wednesday. Yes, in the middle of the week for 
some strange so reason. Weird. Oh, because I think it's exactly one week after the Stanley Cup final. Oh, and that's like how it usually kind of is. No, no, well, no, they usually no, they push just want to. The... Yeah, no, they just want to get everything done as soon as possible, I think. Yeah. Isn't it usually the last weekend in June? Isn't that I when they normally? I think so. I think it it's that it's... sounds right. All right, the draft is coming up on Tuesday. Um, the Kings with the second overall pick, and I'm still thinking that it's rigged a little bit because the Rangers got the first overall pick. You will never talk me out of that. <laughs> um, they have sort of a I was going to say the world at their feet, but that's stupid. They can. They have a lot to choose from, and in such a deep draft, it's pretty hard to go wrong. Yeah, and I think that it's going to be, based off of what has everything that Rob Blake and Mark Yannetti both have said kind of in the media, which all could be a misdirection, who knows? Like, I don't trust any hockey person anymore at this point, but it really does feel like it's going to be... It could go so the two guys that they're everyone kind of assumes they're picking between are Quentin Byfield and Tim Stutzla, um, who are sort of the consensus like next best guys in the draft. And it really feels to me like a little bit it's going to be a little bit of a coin flip because both guys would address needs that the Kings have. Both guys could fit into the system, both are pretty much almost NHL ready and could could slot in very easily and you know, I, I think that Rob Blake has the real potential here to be kind of a, a chaos agent because so much of what happens down the rest of the draft and what other teams do kind of relies on where they go with the number two pick uh, because Ottawa and Detroit especially are, are really watching because Ottawa, of course, has picks number three and five. Detroit has number four and what all of those do with those picks really is going to be impacted unless one of their GMs just goes completely crazy and is like, I'm going to pick the goalie at number five. Uh, The Kings could really, really make things interesting based off of their pick. So I'm holding out a little hope that Rob Blake does something kind of bonkers just (laughs) to give us all something to talk about for a little while. The Kings this year, don't have a second first round pick. They had a special con- a conditional pick for Kyle Clifford. See if Kyle Clifford resigns with Toronto or if the Leafs make the 2019-20 playoffs and Jack Campbell wins six regular season games. Due to the shortened season, the NHL ruled that the 2021 third round pick upgrades to a 2021 second round pick if the Leafs win their qualifying round series. And Jack Campbell gets two or more wins, or if Kyle Clifford resigns with Toronto. Sounds like he didn't sign with Toronto, so he's testing free agency, so it remains a third-round pick next year. Okay, so they didn't load up for this year, although they have a second-round pick from uh, Golden Knights and from uh, the Canucks. So they got... I mean, the Canucks and the, the Golden Knights, because they both made the playoffs, um, it's not going to be especially high picks, but I don't know. I'm, since this is supposed to be such a d- deep draft, 
I feel like Rob, well, in the second round, you don't really go bonkers crazy, do you? Like, nobody cares if you go bonkers off the board. Yeah, I mean, especially, I feel like in this draft, rounds one and two, like, probably won't have, I mean, they'll have surprises. But, I mean, they, they are always very good at identifying guys later in the draft that end up looking at least over the past few years that look like they can turn out to be pretty good prospects for, for the, the system. So, you know, I, it, while it'd be great if they had a, you know, an, a second, another first round pick, that'd be awesome. But especially with the King's own pick in the second round, it's going to be like, I think it's the fourth pick of that round. So they're still picking very high in that round as well. Uh, yeah. And I feel like after that, it's just sort of a, which small child do you like the most? Go pick them. <laughs> well, I told everybody, I said I'm, I was rooting for Tampa to win the Stanley Cup because one, I can't root for Corey Perry, but two, <laughs> <laughs> I really want all the teams to start emulating Tampa. So I'm really hoping that Rob Blake looked at Tampa, looked at everything that they've done in the last six years and goes, okay, I want to copy that because I like high skill teams. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that Tampa's in such a interesting situation and, and next year and going forward is going to be fascinating for Tampa because they now finally are hitting their cap crunch of young players, more young players needing paid and all of the big contracts that they gave, gave out are finally coming due essentially. And so seeing how Tampa manages their, their lives in the next couple of years will be interesting. But uh, in talking with people who cover the lightning, you know, their, their, their path to success basically was make smart deals, nurture the young prospects that you have and just give them the time and space to, to, perfect their game and Tampa kind of had to learn how to lose before they could learn to win that kind of thing. And if the Kings can keep this kind of core of young guys who are coming up, like Gabe Velarde, Alex Turcotte, Tyler Madden, like if those guys can all kind of blossom into, you know, over the next five years, sort of the, the, the length of time it took Tampa to get from their first Stanley cup, final where they lost to Chicago to this year, they had sort of a five year launching period or growing period or whatever. And, you know, at the beginning of it, like Steven Stamkos and them were what, just like 21, 23 years old or something. And so, you know, I feel like if you follow the Kings trajectory of kind of still struggling and waiting for those, those young guys to come into their own and make it into the league, you know, we, we could be on a similar path to that of we just need the, the kids to pan out and to turn into something. And but the, but they, they're doing the right thing of amassing these prospects who, you know, eventually we might have too many of them. And then we can start flipping them when we get close to, you know, oh, the Kings are just one or two players away. They just need one scorer to to really make a difference in, in the playoffs. And then you can kind of make those moves like the Lightning signing Patrick Maroon for a one year, one year deal or whatever to be their big net front guy. Um, but I, I think that, but effective. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> hey, it, it, I that's that's I need that on a pillow or something, honestly, um, <laughs> or like a nightshirt that I'll wear while I'm eating ice cream on my couch in the middle of the night. But you know, like I, a I blanket think that you can like 
throw yes. over your leg. Like <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or or a shirt for my fat cat. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that like the Kings and not even not even looking at this draft where they're going to get a very elite player in the number two pick, unless, you know, Rob Blake, Blake does something completely crazy and just picks a name out of a hat, which I don't think he's going to do. You know, they're going to get an elite player in with that first round pick. They've got a bunch of picks in other rounds to just roll the dice and see what happens. So they're on the right path of acquiring high skilled players who they can build around. And as the older players gracefully age off and go away, uh, uh, there's more and more room for those kids. So I I think it's exciting. And Tampa is a really good model of how you build a contender. And just imagine how they, how good they could have been in past years. If Steven Stamkos didn't have like a catastrophic injury every year, I feel like for three or four (laughs) years in a row, he's been injured. And this year was just the year that they could get over the hump without him and it wasn't a question of like, oh, did the Lightning lose because Steven Stamkos wasn't able to play? Like they they managed their lives without him in the playoffs, except for like that three minute shift that he, you know, that, that three minutes that he pay, played in one period. Um, but yeah, like they're, they're an interesting case to watch. I think they did a really great job at, at navigating that and keeping that window open. And now they just have to figure out how to extend it without going you know without either blowing up the team or you know having to give up pieces they don't want to give up because somehow the cap got screwed up isn't it a flat cap for the next three years or something pretty much i think like there's room for it to go up like very small increments but it's all based off of like the the revenue that's brought in and you know presuming that we're not going to go back to 20,000 people in an arena anytime soon. I, I think the picture is that it's going to just stay flat for the next couple of years because there's just no way that the league's going to bring in enough revenue without fans or with only, you know, 25% capacity in their arenas uh, to really make up, make whatever amount of money they had to make to raise the cap. So lots of teams are going to be in trouble and suddenly all the cap space that the Kings have is actually looking pretty good because teams are going to have to start making deals because they're going to run out of cap space if if it doesn't go up. Well, the Kings only have 16 million uh 16 well, just just shy of 17 million dollars in cap space and I say only, but as we've seen, <laughs> it can that can dissipate very very quickly. Yeah. Um so I just I'm really hoping that Rob Blake doesn't try to make a Don Sweeney splash here at this draft. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, Barzell, mm-hmm. Connor, Kylington, you know, you know, all sucky players. I, What's Boston I doing? Think, I, I, I think, he, I think <laughs> he's smarter than that. <laughs> we'll see. But I think the next three years are going to be really interesting for the Kings because, um, Dustin Brown and Jeff Carter both have their deals expiring. And um, I believe, no, never mind. I was going to say Drew Daddy, but he just signed a contract like a year or two ago. No, he's here forever now. We're stuck with him. God. He was really good at one point. Yeah, and now he isn't. 
Someone yeah. will still believe he is, though. Some, someone will, whenever we need to jettison him, <laughs> I think we might be able to. We can always trick someone he's... into believing he's good. Yeah, I don't think he's Norris contender anymore, but I think he's still above average as a defenseman. I, I just need him to be adequate. That's all I need. Like, <laughs> I just need him to to not be a disaster. Well, I mean, so we've got Curtis McDermott, Sean Walker, Mikey Anderson, Matt Roy, Ben Hutton. Oh, sorry, I don't know about. Sorry, Ben Hutton. I think is going to free agency. And I believe Joachim Ryan is also mm-hmm. going to free agency. But those kids have been on the roster for some time now. They've gotten their, they've, well, Mikey Anderson has only played a couple of games, but he's still a tiny baby. He's 21. <laughs> Jesus, I'm old. <laughs> he's 21, Sarah. Yep. Just don't, don't look at the birth years of the guys getting drafted this year. Just don't do it. It makes me very uncomfortable. 2002. I hate it. I know. I was talking to somebody and I was like, wait a minute. It's been 19 years since 2011. Those people are voting now. Mm -hmm. Those people who were born in 2011 can vote now. Like, anyway. I just hate it. (laughs) But, you know, Mikey Anderson is young and he obviously has the, the highest ceiling, but... Curtis McDermott is serviceable as your 670, and Sean Walker, I think he has proved himself to be a pretty steady defenseman. So it'll be really interesting to see who they're going to bring in next year to make, to be Drew Doughty's partner. Because he definitely needs somebody with wheels. He needs a young kid that he can mentor. Because I think that's where he's at in his stage, in this stage of his career now. He's kind of transitioning into that Willie Mitchell role where mm-hmm. he doesn't necessarily have the skating skills to keep up anymore, but he's still really smart. Like his hockey IQ is pretty much off the charts, which is what Dean Lombardi loved about him um, and why he picked him over Zach Bogosian. Like all the other things, the physical attributes, you can work on those, but there's no replacing hockey IQ, which no doubt Drew Depp. Drew Doughty definitely still has. So I just I'd just like to pause for a second and have everyone look though at the fact that like for as much as I kind of crap on Drew Doughty and don't necessarily love him as a player anymore, the fact that the pick was between Doughty and Bogosian, and although you know Zach Bogosian just won a Stanley Cup, it was on a team that had enough elite players that could basically basically make him look like he was good. And he basically was almost out of the NHL before the Lightning made a deal for him to or to, to, to sign him to bring him on. Like you cannot possibly compare really at any point in their careers in the NHL, Drew Doughty and Zach Bogosian, like which gives you just like an insight into how much of a crapshoot the draft is because. I don't think anyone would ever at any point in Zach Bogosian's career have said like that he was better or equal to Drew Doughty, except for maybe (laughs) in leading up to the draft. I mean, that's why they say they always, people always say that the draft just ends up being like a crapshoot. Like Brayden, sorry, not Brayden Point. Uh, Brayden Point was drafted in the third round um, and he was, a candidate for MVP of the playoffs this year 
and Tyler Johnson, tiny boy that he is from Spokane, Washington. He uh, he went undrafted for three years until Eiserman. Yeah, like Nikita kinda... Kucherov is like, yeah, like Kucherov is like insane as a player, and uh, he was drafted fifty eighth overall, so second round. But you know, every team essentially passed up on him. Uh, I-, I looked at this on my own podcast, and the guy that the Kings drafted in the first round played like two NHL games, and you know, every every team should feel regret for not drafting Nikita Kucherov, but. Just the whiffs in that draft, that draft year, the other guys that the King dra- Kings drafted in that year were Andy Andrioff and uh, Nick Shore <laughs> and a handful not, of other random high. guys. Wasn't like, Andy Andrioff like a seventh round pick and yeah, they Shore were, like a They were all fairly like, yeah, yeah. Which like, you know, four late round draft picks, they were fairly serviceable, but yeah. like overall that draft was just very brutal for the Kings seeing some of the players who they passed up on, who are still, you know, difference makers in the NHL that, you know, instead they drafted guys who they never signed or whatever, which, yeah, just goes to show you how completely random it is. And uh, we should all just be happy with with whatever boys we sign and just hope for the best. I would like to point out that David Pasternak, who, by the way, is 24 years old. (laughs) Are you kidding me? (laughs) Was drafted 25th overall in 2014. He was drafted 25th (laughs) overall in 2014. Like, that just blows my mind that 24 teams passed up on him. Yep. I was hoping he would fall to 31, but... You know, we got Adrian Kempe instead. <laughs> definitely, definitely yeah, the same. <laughs> no comparison there. <laughs> yeah. So the top three draft, the top three selections in the draft were Aaron Ekblad, Sam Reinhart, and Leon Dreisaitl. Aaron Ekblad, for all that it's worth, looked like he had amazing talent at 18 years old. Sam Reinhart supposedly had a really high ceiling. Um, and Dreisaitl, well, I mean, Dreisaitl, totally fair that he he would go in the top three. I mean, that, that just totally makes sense. But like you have Sam Bennett, Michael Del Colle, Hayden Fleury, Nikolai Nikolai Ehlers, Nick Ritchie, Kevin Fiala, Brendan Perlini. These guys, Sonny Milano, all of these guys went before David Posternock. That draft was real bad, man. Tony D'Angelo got drafted ahead of David Pasternak. Oof. Yeah. Jared McCann, Connor Bleakley. Is Bleakley still playing in the I NHL? I think so. Sperry Kapanen, he's back with the Penguins. Nick Schmaltz. Oof. No, he'd be good if he didn't keep getting concussions and getting his knee blown out. <laughs> Poor Nate Schmaltz. I mean, okay, so Sonny Milano, well, for a while it looked like he was probably equal in talent to David Posternock. Maybe he was a little bit of a reach, but, I mean, freaking Travis Sanheim was drafted ahead of David Posternock. Nick wow, Ritchie this, is this barely draft a fourth is winger. Solidly fourth liner. mediocre. What? 
this draft is just very mediocre. <laughs> like even when you look at it of just like outside of like the draft order, when you just look at, you know, total points and everything, it's still very <laughs> other than Leon Dreisaitl and uh, Pasternak, you know, it, it's, yeah, if you if you look at that draft by points scored in the NHL so far, you've got Dreisaitl, Pasternak, Dylan Larkin, Nikolai Point, or Nikolai Point, uh, Dylan Larkin, Braden Point, and Nikolai Ehlers are your top um, one, two, three, four, five. Um, William Nylander's in that draft. It's just very weird. I feel like Aaron Ekblad, his the bad thing for him is that he went to Florida, which maybe has not developed him properly. I think that had he gone to a team that was a little less of a tire fire, um, we wouldn't be kind of looking at him as a player who has some missed potential, but uh, it is what it is. And we got that, you know, one season of Willie Mitchell basically being his dad. So that was really great. Hang on a second. Aaron Ekblad is 24. I should have realized that, that they're all 24. Mm-hmm. I swear to God, he's 34. Yeah. He looks like an old soul. He looks like he's always been 30, like since he's been yeah. in the league. Yeah. That's funny to me. I mean, Leon Dreisaitl, like, okay, he was at one point, it looked like he was going to be a reach, but those, this last year, he's really just taken off. Yeah. And it, the funny thing about David Pasternak is that at the time, he definitely looked like a reach, but it's, you know, it's kind of like, well, late first round, could have gone early second round. Okay, sure. I, when you're drafting, this was, you know, six years ago back in 2014. So at the time it looked okay, but then it's just kind of crazy to me to see that he was a contender for the, what is it, the Rocket Richard this year? I, th- I think, I think, to, yeah, didn't, I think they like might have, he, he was like one goal off or something from the, no, I'm just saying, like, he, he he was, like, a contender for most points and most mm-hmm. goals mm-hmm. Uh, leading up to the pause. <laughs> I just love that everybody capitalizes is the pause. It's very formal. Yes, always. But it'll be really interesting to see what the Kings do. I hope Rob Blake doesn't do anything wacky in the first round. He seems far too boring to do anything wacky. Um, I, I feel like the, the the one question that I keep getting is, you know, a legitimate question. And I think that if the Kings were picking a little further down in the draft, like had they not actually been lucky enough to get the second pick, it would even be more interesting to see what he does. Because I, I think we, we know that one of the biggest issues in the King system, one of the biggest like gaps that we don't have for the future is like, a new Drew Doughty. There's no real number one defenseman in the Kings prospect system. And, you know, you could, you, there are plenty of guys who you could make play that role, but is it's not the same as Drew Doughty. And I think that if the Kings were picking, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, there could be a real question of, do they take someone like Jamie Drysdale, uh, who is kind of projected as the number one defenseman in this class, but is not so, like he, he Drysdale shouldn't go second or third. Like the Kings sh- probably shouldn't use their pick on him, but that is still kind of the biggest hole the Kings are going to need to fill as they look to like start turning over their roster, even though Drew Doughty is here for like 8,000 more years. Uh, that That's kind <laughs> of the biggest thing 
thing that their biggest need, but you know, so the question keeps coming up of, you know, even though they have the number two pick and they have Byfield and Stutzla both there waiting to be picked, would Rob Blake do something like, say, pick a defenseman? And I, I don't think that he will. I think it's probably a topic of conversation, but I, I think at number, you know, picking one, two, three, like you really do just pick the best guy, even if you have sort of organizational needs somewhere else. But in, in in future drafts, and I would look especially when with those three second round picks that they have, for them to kind of focus in on defensemen because they have a bunch of young defensemen in the system and who are prospects who are coming up, but none of them really have that elite first line, you know, number one defenseman kind of look to them. So that that's really where I could see. It, Rob Blake going a little crazy is picking a defenseman and that would kind of throw the rest of the draft into chaos because no one would expect someone like Drysdale to go at number two but I, ultimately I don't think he'll do it but the part of me that wants sheer chaos would be really interested in seeing <laughs> that happen Sarah no <laughs> <laughs> don't be like that Sarah <laughs> um, yeah you're right They they don't have hardly any defensemen like they had a glut of defensemen in their system but now i feel like they don't have any defensemen like in their system well, I, I mean think we we do it's just that like because i mean we have you know kale clegg tobias beer and foot um when we look down at the ahl we have you know mikey anderson who's probably going to split time back and forth we have um cole Holtz who just signed who is going to be you know a pretty good defenseman and then there's a bunch of guys who haven't gone pro yet like um who could have potential like jordan spence is doing really well um there there's you know uh, what's his name uh, kim nusianen who's in finland who could be interesting but they they don't they just have a bunch right now they're just a bunch of guys and <laughs> i i don't feel like any of them have distinguished themselves enough to be like he's going to be a late bloomer and is going to turn into your number one defenseman and the drew dowdy problem is just going to keep getting bigger I, I don't think that it's something they're going to be able to keep ignoring of we don't have one of these and elite defensemen don't just grow on trees. So <laughs> sure they do. You know, they're, they're going to have to solve this problem somehow. I, I don't know how they're going to do it. I think they to solve their Drew Daddy problem, they're going to look to their Swedish kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really going to because Moverare, he's only 22 and Bjornfoot's only 19. And then, of course, Kale Clegg, he's not Swedish. He's Canadian. But, um, I mean, I, I think it's going to come down to one of those three kids. And I think because of the team that Moverar played on last year, so they're going to continue to let their Swedish kids kind of develop and play over there. I thought it was really smart of them to give um, Tobias Bjornfoot nine games. And then send him back to Sweden. Wait, did he play no. in the AHL he, last year? He no. played in, he played for the rain. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. They kept him here. I'm sorry, on Cap Friendly it says he's been loaned, but Yeah, they, they loan he's back in Sweden right now. So he's yes, playing. Right. Yeah. Right. So that he can keep playing and developing. Mm-hmm. Duh, right, duh. Yeah. So no, I mean it's it's smart to give well 
I know they wanted to have Bjorn Foot down in Ontario so that they could keep a closer eye on his development. But Movarar, because of the team that he played for, was the best team in the SHL last year. They wanted to keep him in Sweden um, playing for Frölunda. Because uh, Frölunda was the best team in in the SHL last year. And when I talked to Patrick, I think it's Bexel, um, your man in Europe, he writes for Habs Eyes on the Prize. Um, and he he was telling me about Bjornfoot last, I mean, sorry, um, he was telling me about Morar last year. And he was like, basically he gets the sense that according to the coaches, he's probably NHL ready. But they really love how his development is going over in Sweden. And at the time last year, they had kind of a log jam and they didn't want him getting low minutes. So to bring it back to Drew Doughty, I think they're going to look to Movarar or possibly Bjornfoot. I mean, because Bjornfoot has like the leadership skills and the high hockey IQ that they supposedly loved about Drew Doughty. I mean, we'll see. I think it's going to it's going to be really interesting. And I think that you know, especially with defensemen like it does take them longer to develop than than a forward and which I always find fascinating whenever you're looking at defenseman prospects and juniors and stuff and they're like, "Oh, he's a great defenseman. He's bad at being a defenseman though. Like he gets scored on all the time." I'm like, "Isn't that your job?" But, you know, <laughs> it just it just takes a while, I guess, for, you know, all of those skills to come together. So when you see a defenseman who's 17, 18, 19 years old who does have that defensive side of the game nailed down, you're like, "Okay, this is something we can work with. This is good." Um, but, you know, I, I feel like just just look at a guy like Sean Walker who took a while to really kind of make his way here. He played, I think at least three or three years, probably four years in college, um, signed an AHL deal for one year until the Kings were like, okay, we, we like it. Let's, let's see, see what you've got. So I think there's plenty of time for someone like Bjornfoot and Movarar to, to develop into more of an like elite player. And, you know, right now they really are just kids. So you know, by the, by the time that like Drew Doughty is totally like overmatched as a number one defenseman, maybe one of these kids will be ready to kind of step up into into that role. Uh, you know, it's different than drafting someone who you know is is going to be a number one when you pick him. You know, like Drew Doughty picked second overall or whatever. Um, but you know, there is something to be said for developing a guy through your own system and making him ready for that role. So. They have a couple years to figure it out, but TikTok. <laughs> well, that's why I, was, I really think that it's it's going to come down to one of those Swedish kids and who's going to grab it by the reins first, and mm-hmm. you know anything like that. I don't know. I'm I'm really curious to see. I I don't. I'm sure they have a plan, and of course, you know we're all not privy to that plan but i just kind of wish sometimes like that they would tell us a little bit what they're thinking could you give us a hint yeah just be like what organizational depth needs are you looking to fill right like you could we could even play like charades for it (laughs) like or you know rhymes with (laughs) 
rhymes with Moo Scouty. <laughs> Moody Canadian defenseman. Uh, yeah. All right. So the the consensus seems to be that the Kings are going to pick a forward because at this point, I think they really need it more than they need a defenseman. Mm-hmm. You can get, you can sort of get away with defense by committee, which is what they're doing. But you really, it's really hard to get away with not scoring. Right. <laughs> I mean, I love our small boy, Alex Turcotte, but he's still probably a year or two away, depending on, again, what the NHL and the NCAA do. I don't know. Is, is Wisconsin playing this year? Um, it doesn't matter because Turcotte signed a pro contract. Oh. Oh, that's right. He went pro after yep. his. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Arthur Kaliev, he's also he also signed a, a pro contract. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he can still go back to juniors. It's just NCAA that once you no, sign, that's true. you can't go back. That's true. He can uh, slide. That's the mm-hmm. word slide. So the consensus seems to be they need help with their forwards because honestly, they either have children or they have old men. And I'm not calling them old, but they're old for hockey. And Trevor Lewis walked away, RIP, to half our fan base. God, he's going to be like an Ottawa senator or something next year, and I'm going to hate it. Yeah, it's going to suck. But so good luck to him in free agency, but. You know, Kopitar's 33, Brown's 35, Carter's 35, Ayafalo's 26. So it's like, they're not really, they need a lot of help. <laughs> and because they can't all rely on, on Kopitar and Dustin Brown to have a miraculous year. <laughs> I mean, who's, and I think Nikolai Perkorkin is, I think they let him go. Yeah, he's gone. He's he's technically, I I think the Kings technically still will retain his rights, but I can't see them bringing him back. No, ever. I think he decided to go back to the KHL. Yeah, yeah, he, he signed back there. Like, the weird rules around KHL, like, prospects, players, like, the, the K, because he was a restricted free agent, the Kings still will have his rights, basically, in perpetuity until they decide to, until they trade him his rights, essentially. But I don't think that he voluntarily is ever going to come back to the United States. It's like how the Kings still own Slava Voinov's rights. Even though. Hasn't that expired yet? No, I think they will. I, I think they will still. Oh, no, I think because they didn't like extend him an offer or whatever. Like you might be right that they don't technically own his yeah. rights anymore, but like any player who. He's a bad example then, but like anyone who you draft who is playing in the KHL, you basically own their rights forever. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So it was a little different with Slava Voinov because yeah. he had an NHL contract, but it wasn't RFA. He would have been UFA. Yeah, I think so. Because So I think it was either to 2020 or 2021. I don't see it on cap friendly. Either way, they're not paying him, so it doesn't no. matter. Yeah. But yeah, so, I mean, maybe Gabriel Velarde will score, but I don't see Trevor Moore scoring a whole lot. Blake Lazat, Austin Wagner, Adrian Gempe. Who among these guys is scoring? 
I mean, if you tape them all together into like one <laughs> hockey Voltron, like Austin Wagner's the legs, um, like Blake Lazat's like the heart of it because he's like, n- you know, never quit, like always on. Um, I really feel like Austin Wagner's going to be the Trevor Lewis replacement. I thought that was what Trevor Moore was going to be. Eh, I think he has a little more. Wagner just has like no hands, much like our dear departed Trevor Lewis. Um. <laughs> I love Austin Wagner so much. He's that nice guy who tries hard. And he's, you can tell in every interview, he's so earnest. Just can't score to save his life. No, but maybe Nader and Kempe will finally get into double digits next year. Well, now that we made him an actual winger, he might. God. McClellan putting him back on the wing where he belongs. It's like a miracle. Right. That alone is enough reason for me to be on board with the fact that the Kings hired him as a coach (laughs) is like, you finally recognized Adrian Kempe is not a center and you have the center depth now to be able to not force him into being a center anymore. So that brings us back to the draft rather nicely. (laughs) They have one, two, Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, sorry. Seven people who are technically centers or can play center. Alex Ayafalo is listed as a center, even though he mostly plays wing. But still. Well, and, and Adrian Kempe is also listed as a center. Hang on a second. Okay. If we want to talk actual centers, you have Carter, Kopitar, I'll throw I follow a bone and Lazat and Velarde and Amadio. Amadio? Meh. <laughs> Amadio. <laughs> Sorry. So let's say you have five or six centers. I th- I think I counted that. Of people who can play center and do an adequate job at that. They're still struggling to find a left winger for Andre Kopitar. So do we continue to throw Alex Ayafalo up there because everybody's favorite golden retriever seems to have pretty good chemistry, but then who are you going to put on his right wing and who's going to score on that line? Because Kopitar is just going to be busy shoveling out the puck to all of his wingers. And then his wingers are just going to be giving it back to him and nobody's going to score on that line. I mean, they did pretty well last year. Like, I follow hit new highs in goals scored. Kopitar still led the team in scoring. Um, I mean, I think you can try the kids next to, up next to him. Um, and But for whatever reason, like, it maybe it just takes a long time to develop chemistry with him. That, that'll Once we do get, like, an actual training camp, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And if they start, you know, they give... Um, Callie, I have a couple games with him to see what happens or, or whatever. Um, you know, Carter, it seems like they're really shifting him to the wing. So, you know, he's another guy who can play center, but they're, they're moving him just cause he doesn't necessarily have the, the foot speed or the, the whatever anymore to really be an effective center. Um, and then you have the young guys who, you know, Turcotte, is a center who you could move if you needed to, to wing. Um, Akil Thomas is a center who also, you know, I, I think that when you look at the draft, like I keep leaning towards Quentin Byfield because he is kind of 
Andrzej Kopitar 2.0, you know, not, not to, not to like put them on the same level immediately, but it's just sort of that same, you know, big bodied center plays a two way game can score at will essentially. And as much as I love a lot of our younger guys in the system, there is something to be said for a guy who's like six, two or whatever being down the middle. Um, Alex Turcotte, Tyler Madden, Akil Thomas are all smaller framed. And I think that there there is still some need to have size down the middle. And you can't have too many centers. Like, I, I, center depth is so important for teams that if you have too many of them, you just shove some of them over to the wing and be done with it. And then you have a, a winger who can also take face, face. You have a winger who can also take face offs for you, which is pretty important too. So I still lean towards Byfield, but I'm not going to be surprised if they pick uh, Stutzla, who is a center, but also has played wing. So he is someone who could very easily be moved around and could slot into Kopitar's left wing. I think he's a left wing player um, and, and put him there. And suddenly maybe they have magic together. Who knows? But it really does feel like a coin flip to me. It, that's what the consensus seems to be online is that you could take either one and be very happy. I mean, Tim yeah. Stutzel, Stutzla, he's six foot 187, so they're probably going to want him to put on a little weight, um, but maybe not too much because he's his skill game really comes down to being lean. And, you know, I thought for some reason Tyler Madden was a large boy. And I thought he was, oh, like, well over six feet. No, he's a very small boy. He's 5'11". Yeah. And I think that's generous. Yeah. He is 5'11 and 152 pounds. Yeah. Small boy. What, what do they have Turcotte listed as, out of curiosity? Turcotte is listed at 5'11", 185. Oh, God, that's a lie. <laughs> I have met Alex Turcotte. He is not 5'11". <laughs> He's probably closer to 5'9". Yeah. I, I don't know what they do at the, the the draft combine to in order to somehow gain two inches. Like, every single time, these small boys, like, I think Tyler Johnson is listed at 5'9". Everybody who's ever met him says, there's no way he's 5'9". Mm-hmm. He's 5'7". Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you gain those six right. two like, inches? And they, how can I they, gain two inches? Do they actually measure them on skates? Because there is <laughs> like, you know, if you're wearing skates, you do get an extra like, you know, two, three inches or whatever. But <laughs> do they like stand on their tiptoes? Right. It's it's bizarre. Alex Turcotte is not 5'11". <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So it's interesting because Quentin Byfield, he's listed at 6'2". 215 that's a big boy mm-hmm. so yeah they could take him at number two but the interesting thing for me and this is where i would lean more towards the german guy is the knowledge like every, mm-hmm. the first thing that everybody talks about is how smart he is yeah which which would make him even more interesting playing alongside kopitar who is i think we all can say like a very intelligent hockey player and you know having those two teaming up would be really fun to watch. This is like one of those drafts where I won't, I won't be mad with whoever they pick. There, you know, there's always some, some drafts where you're like, 
they pick a guy and you're like, why did you do that? Like there were four other boys that you could have chosen and you picked <laughs> this one. Um, but but the, I really will not be mad with whoever they pick. And I think that they're going to get someone who's going to be great for this team and who could quite possibly make the jump this coming year. I think that um, Byfield, they kind of, the popular consensus kind of goes back and forth as to whether he should do one more year in juniors or if he should just make the jump right now. And um, Stutzla, I think everyone thinks is going to come over uh, this year. And I think the German league actually just announced that they're delaying the start of their season. So it's not even like, he could play for a little bit and then come over anyway. Cause I think they're not starting until like November or something, December maybe. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're getting a player who could quite possibly be in the NHL next season, whenever that actually happens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you really can't go wrong with either player. The, the only thing is about, by field is that I mean I'm sure he's he's great and everything and I'm not a scout or and I've never seen him play or, or anything but you know based on his draft profile basically it's kind of like it, for the Kings it would be such a an LA Kings pick mm-hmm. like if this was Dean Lombardi no question they would take the junior kid but the interesting thing for me this is just my opinion, is that Stutzla, he's been playing against men in the Mm -hmm. DEL, and he is the first under-18 player. Um, He finishes first in DEL history in points per game as an under-18 player at 0.83. And so, I mean, the thing that, like I said before, is everybody's been hammering on about him is that he's so smart. Isn't that what you want on your team? A guy who sees the ice so well and could possibly make the jump to the NHL. But of course, then you have to look at it this way. If you do bring him over whenever the NHL gets started, is that one, the best thing for his development? And two, now you have to look at kind of your five-year plan down the road. Right. So do you... Take the guy who's really smart, but who will need a contract sooner than the other guy. But this guy could potentially be a better overall player. Mm-hmm. What do you want in your system? Right. And and like, just... I feel like I feel like Rob Blake and his scouting team and everything have to. It, it's like the the conspiracy guy with the the red string all over the wall. <laughs> you know, I feel like that's that's where they're at with this. Probably is just every decision has a bunch of other consequences down the road. And I like, I don't envy them for having to, to figure it all out and look at the bigger picture and not just be able to be like that one. (laughs) I want that (laughs) one. There's so many, especially because this is supposedly such a deep draft. I mean, it's just, in every draft, you how you always have to kind of consider where he's going to fit in your system and kind of look at your overall big picture. But this year, you have the just these such quality prospects, and at number two and number three, you're just going, oh, which one do I want? I don't know. <laughs> like you, I don't envy Rob Blake and Mark Unetti. Yeah, good luck. Good luck to them. 
All right, Sarah, you have a great one, and thanks for joining me today. And um, will you join me again for post-draft wrap-up? Absolutely. We can see what our new shiny boys are like. Yay! All right, bye.